Turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. Um, in the many ways COVID-19 has been difficult for me, I'm a hugger by nature. And so every time I meet someone, you know, for the first time, I kind of lean in for a hug. And it's, it's super awkward for people that are not huggers. But for people like me, I'm super energized by them. And, and not being able to hug and, and shake hands in our COVID season has been a particular challenge, but a challenge I'm willing to bear. I long for the day where I can hug someone and they not recoil in horror that I'm sharing my germs with them. But uh, to God be the glory. I, I remember uh, the first time I led a worship service, we had a greeting time. And so I, you know, I thought I'd be biblical in the greeting time. And I said, greet one another with a holy kiss. And everybody looked at me like super weird, like, Pastor, we don't, we don't do that here. They, they might do that in the Bahamas, but we don't, you know, we don't do that here. And I said, well, I didn't mean it literally, just a, a greeting together. John chapter 1, verse 29 through, uh, uh, 29 through 34. Um, we've been doing a series entitled The Work of the Holy Spirit in the Life of Christ with the simple premise of, hey, listen, if, if Christ needed the Holy Spirit in his life, how much more do we? How much more do we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at different portions of the life of Christ and seeing how he needed the Holy Spirit in those uh, portions, and then we make, um, we, we sort of apply it to our time and to our life. And today we'll be looking at Christ's mission and how the Holy Spirit empowered him for that mission. So if you will, John chapter 1, verse 29 to 34, hear now the word of the Lord. The next day he saw Jesus, he being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel." And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, now, please um, give your people wisdom. Help us to focus in on the blessed truths that we glean from this text. Holy Spirit, um, our Lord needed you in every aspect of his life and ministry. May we seek your power to do the same. Help us now to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. When he was about 14 years old, James Harrison 
underwent a major surgery. It was open heart surgery, in fact. And uh, James had lost a lot of blood. Thankfully, at the hospital that he was in, there had been a number of people that had donated blood, and because of that, it saved James' life. When this 14-year-old woke up and heard uh, this, that the fact that he had lost a lot of blood and that they had blood on hand from people donating it, he himself took upon uh, the charge of donating blood. But he was only 14, and so he had to wait until he was 18. James said that he would make it his life's mission to give blood, and he did. When he turned 18, James began periodically uh, giving his blood, donating his blood. After several months of doing this, the doctors noticed something interesting about James's blood. His blood contained an antibody, and it was a pretty aggressive antibody. And as they studied this, they realized that the antibodies in his blood can help to prevent a rare and potentially fatal blood condition in babies known as the rhesus disease. Essentially, the rhesus disease takes place when uh, the mother's blood contains a particular protein that reacts with the baby's blood and causes uh, the cells, the blood cells in the baby to die, and the baby develops uh, anemia and jaundice and would usually die. Well, when the doctors found this out, they brought it to James's attention and asked him if he can do all that he can to help to donate as much blood as he could. And when James found out about it, that's exactly what he did. From 1960s, midway 1960s to 2018, James went every week and donated blood. All told, James donated uh, blood 1,173 times. Because of his effort, he was known as the man with the golden arm. You can read about his story on uh, the New York Times and CNN. In fact, he's somewhat famous. Now, the only reason why James stopped donating blood was that he had turned 81, and that was the maximum age that you can be and donate blood. James said that he was thankful that he had made donating blood his life's mission. At the end of it all, they calculated that James, along with a few other donors, but particularly James, because his antibodies were particularly aggressive, saved upward to 2.4 million babies. It was absolutely incredible. When James was told how many babies he had a hand in helping, here's what James said. Saving one baby is good. Saving two million is hard to get your head around. But if they claim that's what it is, I'm glad to have done it. James Harrison is right. I absolutely agree with him. It is hard to wrap your mind around having a part in saving 2.4 million babies from death. That's why 
is my belief, that as I read John chapter 1, 29, the task that Jesus had before him seems mind-blowing. Because Jesus' blood would not just go to save 2.4 million people or 2.4 billion people, but as John says here, he was to be the Lamb of God whose blood would take away the sin of the world. Think about that for a moment. Think about the task that had been on Jesus' mind the whole time, from the moment he realized this was his task to that fateful night in the garden. Think about how difficult Jesus' life would have been, that his task was to die for the sins of the world. Think with me for a moment as well that this task is beyond any human being to do. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Dennis, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't just a human being. He was also God. And you're absolutely right. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the God-man. This is what scholars talk about with the hypostatic union, right? He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. That's absolutely true. But it is in Jesus' human nature that he was called to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His divine nature was so that he can represent God to man. And that's why he came. when he came to uh, earth, the Bible says that nobody spoke like him. Nobody preached like him. Nobody did the things that Jesus did. Why? Because as the Son of God, as deity... He understood God in a way that no man ever could. But also, he had to be man. He had to be human so he can represent humanity to God, which is to live a sinless life and die on the cross for us. And so what this passage tells us is that Jesus in his human nature needed the power of the Holy Spirit, in order to accomplish the mission set before him, which is to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the question is, where did Jesus get that power from? Well, I want to show you today that he got that power from the Holy Spirit. And there are two things I want to point out in this text. The first is this. The Holy Spirit strengthened Jesus through abiding fellowship. Abiding fellowship. And the second is this, that the Holy Spirit strengthened Jesus through an all-consuming calling. First of all, the Holy Spirit strengthened Jesus through abiding fellowship. Look at verse number 32. John says this, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. What, what is John referring to here? Well, John is referring to Jesus' baptism. And Jesus' baptism is incredibly significant to when Jesus began or inaugurated his new covenant ministry. Even in this text, we see three things that are significant. First is this. Jesus' baptism revealed that he was the Son of God. Notice in verse number 33, John says this, I myself did not know him. Pause for a moment. It was John who baptized him. 
John the Baptist baptized him. He saw Jesus coming to him initially. This passage account, uh, at least the account in this passage right here, is a few days after he baptized Jesus. And John says, even then, I didn't know who he was. But notice he continued. But, who, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. So what did Jesus' baptism do? It identified him as the Son of God who will now be the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's what John is saying. His baptism did that. His baptism showed us that the Son of God came and became the Lamb of God in order to take away the sin of the world. But his baptism did another thing. Here's the second thing. It signified the inauguration of the new covenant. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, think about Jeremiah 31, 31 and Joel 2. That the prophets, as they read this, and the people of God, as they read this, when John proclaims, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the, of the world, and then he makes reference to Jesus' uh, baptism, he's saying, this is the inauguration of the new covenant. And what does Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit would produce? Well, it produces faith. And so he's saying that this is, this is why uh, Jesus' baptism was significant, because it was the inauguration of the new covenant. But here's the third reason, and I think it's the reason that's most germane to what we're talking about today. Notice also that Jesus' baptism, it showed the abiding fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the Father on Jesus' life that empowered him for ministry. That's the third thing. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, think about uh, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And the Bible says that as Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and he came out of the water, you have this picture of the Father looking down on him and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit like a dove descends on him. And in that moment we have the Father showing his pleasure with the Son and the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus as, uh, to empower him for ministry. Now, this is not just symbolic in nature. This is actually telling us that the Holy Spirit and God the Father entered into a fellowship with Jesus to empower him for the work of the ministry, to empower him to do this very thing that John talks about in verse 29, to be the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And it's this interaction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that serves as a source of strengthening for Jesus. Now, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our mind around, but, but I have... I think I have an illustration that explains this well. There's a phenomenon um, that people often talk about, and it goes a little something like this. If you've been married a long time, apparently, did you know that you start looking like each other? I've heard people say that. They say the longer you've been married to someone, you two start looking like each other. Now, me and Theresa have a long way to go. It's going to take us a little bit longer than most, right? But, but, but this is a phenomenon, and, and science has looked into this, and they said, like, this is true. Apparently, this happens. Now, let me say this. I don't actually think that's the case. 
I, you know, I don't think that you stay together so long that you begin to look like each other. I don't think that's the case at all. But I, what I do think that happens is this. The longer that you and your spouse stay together, the stronger that fellowship and relationship becomes. And as your fellowship and relationship becomes stronger and stronger, both of you end up encouraging one another and being a blessing to one another, even more so than before. Just recently, I was sitting down, and I was um, really praying and struggling spiritually. And my wife passed me, and she said, hey, Dennis, what's, what's going on? And so I told her. I just shared with her all the things that's going on in my heart. And, and she, she sat down, and she grabbed my hands, and she began to pray for me. And as she was praying for me, I can feel the weight that was on me lifting. Not just that, when she was done, she began to encourage me and told, told me how much she loved me and how, um, how much she has been praying for me. And she really encouraged me. And that was a source of strengthening. Now, let me pause and say this. Husband and wives... We have the unique ability to do one of two things to each other at all times, right? We could either have the ability to tear one another down and make each other feel awful, or we have the unique ability of making each other feel like a million dollars. And what we have here in this text, when John says that he bore witness that the Spirit descend on, the he on, on Jesus, and he saw the father um, speaking to him. He's saying that within that relationship, you have the father and you have the Holy Spirit strengthening Jesus for the task that lay before him. In the same way, the word of God reminds us that the same is true for us. That the fellowship that we have as God's people, Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit strengthens us as well. And what we have in the gospel is I could only imagine as Jesus was going through and fulfilling his mission, he was reminded of the words of the Father and saying, I am pleased with you, son. And he remembered that the Holy Spirit came upon him and fellowshiped with him. And so it is, beloved, with you and I. Do you realize that right now the Father is looking down on us and saying that he is pleased with us? He is pleased even though we are sinners, even though we fall, even though we're weak in the flesh. He's still pleased with us and he is still given us of his Holy Spirit to partake with us. And it's in this union, we call this the union of Christ, that you and I are strengthened. Paul said it this way. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul talking about? Paul is saying this, because I am in union with Christ, because I know that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is working together in my life for me to accomplish the task that is set before me, I feel strengthened and loved and carried on by that. It's this abiding fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, with the Son that propelled Paul forward. 
But this is not just for personal sustaining. This is also for us in the church as well. That our fellowship together along with the Trinity is what strengthens us during this time of the COVID crisis. Several years ago, um, I started watching basketball again. I had stopped because basketball got weird. You know, it, it just looked like only a few players on a team. And, and, you know, if you have like two or three of the best players, then you could win a championship. But several years ago, something unique happened in basketball. A team called the Golden State Warriors appeared on the scene. And they were absolutely amazing. You know, no one can pass the ball like them. They played with such joy. And uh, the, the sort of the star player, Steph Curry, he had a saying over and over again. He would say, hey, we're winning because of strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. And what was Steph Curry saying? Steph Curry is saying this, look, when we come together as a team, and we're in fellowship with one another, and we're enjoying one another, we play free, the ball moves around, everyone gets an open shot, and we do so much better if we are in fellowship with one another and working as one unit than we are apart. Beloved, the same thing is true for us. It's the fellowship that will sustain us during this time of COVID. It's the gathered worship of the saints where we sing the same songs, we read the same scriptures, we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we rejoice together as one people. Even today, as we saw a little clear, join the fellowship of the church. We, we as a body celebrate along with her. Why? Because it's so important that together we are stronger. It's so important that all of us realize that together our fellowship is stronger than we are apart. And that's why gathered worship is so important here at CVBC. Because we need one another to continue the race that's set before us. And remembering that our fellowship is indeed around Jesus Christ, our Lord and personal Savior. Notice the second and final one. How does the Holy Spirit strengthen us? Not just through fellowship but also through an all-consuming calling. Notice in verse number 21, John the Baptist again says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now there are two aspects to this calling. One is this, that Christ suffered for his people. Number two, that his faithful ministry is seen toward his people. So if you look at the first aspect, what does it mean that Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Well, that has something what uh, scholars call Christ's passive obedience. So if you go to Isaiah 53, it details his calling and suffering for his people. The Bible says that he will be without majesty or beauty. What does that mean? Well, he was poor and from one of the worst neighborhoods. There was nothing attractive about Christ. He wasn't tall or handsome. He was just a normal Jewish man. But not only that, Scripture told us that he would be despised and rejected by man. In John 1, it mentions that he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. So Isaiah 53 goes on to say that he will bear our griefs, he'll be beaten and pierced, he'll be oppressed and afflicted. 
That was the ministry of Christ as the Lamb of God who takes it away, the sin of the world. But notice also, that's the passive, his suffering for us. But notice also the active obedience and what the things that Christ was called to do in Isaiah 61. He was called to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to comfort those who mourn to proclaim the Lord's favor. Think about this for a moment, that every single waking day of Christ's life, from the moment he was baptized to the moment he died, was spent being despised and rejected by the Pharisees, by the Jews. But at the same time, his mission was to proclaim the year of the Lord, to proclaim the gospel to everyone else. Think about how this was an all-consuming calling and think about how this became a weary task for Christ. Even now, beloved, I have to tell you that sometimes when I look at all the things that I have to do, all the things that need to get accomplished, that's a wearying task. And you feel the same way in your own jobs and in your own family. You look at all the things that you have to do and you are burdened and weary beyond measure. I cannot imagine what it must have been like for Christ being the subject of scorn each and every day, but then having to spread the gospel each and every day. And then we get this story later on when Christ is in the garden. And as he's in the garden, Christ hits a wall. For the past three days, he's been fulfilling his mission, and now it's about to become a reality. And as he prays to the Father, he says, Lord, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. What is, what is Christ saying here? Well, he's saying and he's acknowledging that he, in that garden, is tempted to give up. That the weight of his calling has so pressed on him that he feels as though he's about to die. And in that moment, how does the Holy Spirit strengthen him? Well, the first thing is that the Holy Spirit caused him to hold on to the Father's will. And this is why Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. The Holy Spirit caused Christ to hold on to the will of God even beyond his own will and his own desires. But the Holy Spirit did something else. In that moment, Jesus was resolved to fill the calling on his life. And that's why Jesus went on and pursued the cross. Beloved, when I read this text, and when I remember Christ's even though he was pressed down, still pursued the calling, I remember the calling of the church and what you and I are asked to do and how daunting that task is. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says this, Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Think about the scope of our mission and think about how daunting that task is. This involves us sharing the gospel to a post-Christian culture where people either don't want to hear the message or feel like they've already heard the message before and it has no bearing on their life. That's what we're called to do. This involves us 
helping the poor and needy around us without us being, becoming cynical or jaded. Our task that God has left us behind is to involve seeking racial, uh, racial justice even though it's become messy and political. This task involves us loving those who identify as LGBTQ, even though our love might be mistaken as validation. This task involves us to love and care for our family and to show them Christ, even though we fail daily. This task involves us loving one another, even though we might differ on mask wearing, child wearing, or philosophy of ministry. This task means that we must carry on the work of the church even in the midst of a pandemic. This task means that we have to represent Christ to the world and be salt and light even though we fail miserably every day. I don't know about you, but when I think about the task that Christ has given me, I feel crushed by the weight of it because I know my own heart and I know how inconsistent I can be. I know how frail I can be. But yet, this is the task before us. Now, please don't hear me say that all you have to do is try harder. This isn't a try harder message. Here's what this message is meant to do for us. That in those moments, we feel overwhelmed and weary and tired and crushed by the task of this life, that we remember Christ. Because he is the one that though he was weary, and even though he was crushed, that he took upon himself the struggle and the pain of this life, and he alone was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's through union and communion with him that he strengthens us for the unbearable task that we have now. That we don't have to worry about being perfect or doing everything right because Christ has said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, therefore you go. Because the power doesn't have to rest on your shoulder. It already rests on him to the fullest. And it's through our union and communion with him that we can love one another well, that we can serve one another, that we can go out into the world and make a difference. Not that we are pursuing it in and of ourselves, but that through the message of Christ and the power that he's given us, we are able to do it. That's the beauty and the glory of the gospel. That it's not about trying harder. It's about resting in Christ and allowing him to empower you to do the work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that the gospel is clear. That you were Christ. You were the Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. And that statement is so profound because in it we see how the Holy Spirit strengthened you to do a task that was beyond your human nature. Lord, I pray for all of us because we've been given a task that stretches beyond our human nature. And we need to be empowered to do the work that is laid before us. Lord, may we seek your Holy Spirit in order to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.